0: So today, we get to hear from my fellow colleague, Caroline Park. She's back in the saddle this morning, and she's going to continue our series, How Can Faith Make Life Better? Please welcome Caroline. Morning Morning. on this rainy day. Good to have you all. As Sarah said, my name is Caroline. If we haven't met, we'd love to meet you. Please come say hi after the service. Um, Some of you know that until about a year ago, uh, my main area of responsibility at the river was kids and youth ministry for about 10 years. And I still create plans and write curriculum for kids and youth. uh, But these days I'm up here on the 13th floor on Sundays. And um, instead of in the river kids room um, somewhere, which I used to do almost every Sunday. I've missed it, so I was very happy to be back with the kids a few weeks ago. It reminded me how much I enjoy my time with them, Um, and I mean it uh, um, seriously. (laughs) I wasn't just saying it. Um, I was the uh, upper elementary school kids. They are seven to nine years old. Um, they are my favorite age group. Really fun. And I told the story of seven days of creation. It was It's the very first story in the Bible. And after the storytelling, we usually do a, a wondering time. It's a time we wonder about uh, what we think about the story, what we feel about the story, um, So like we talk about different things and as usual, they had a lot of interesting things to say. I asked them about, uh, we wondered about what their favorite day of the creation might be and their answers can tell you a lot about them. One of them said it's the third day because that was when the plants started to grow and he wanted to taste all the fruits and vegetables. Vegetables. And I thought that was revealing, especially because his mom is a nutritionist and health coach. (laughs) Um, She's doing something right. And um, some of them liked the seventh day because they wanted to rest and not have to work. Many of them liked the sixth day because that was when animals and people were created. So we were chatting about this and that. So after a while, I asked them, so how come this story is so different from what you read from science books? Because are some things that we need to discuss. And the fourth grader says, well, that's because science books are just about technical stuff. So I asked, what do you mean by technical stuff? And he says, like technical things, how things work, Um, Concrete things, something like that, he says. So I ask, so then what does the story of the creation tell us then that's different from the science books? And he says, it tells us about meaning, like the meaning of life and our roles in it. I was like, whoa, (laughs) nine years old. He's been in in River Kids all his life, and half the time he looks like he's not even listening, but (laughs) clearly something was, he's nine years old, and he understands that science and faith deal with different subject matters and that they do not have to be in conflict with each other, that science deals with the world that we can see and touch and measure Whereas faith is about something beyond that, something transcendent and ultimate. So as we think about this current sermon series, how faith can make life better, I think this nine-year-old thinker can answer that for us. Faith helps us see beyond what is seen. It gives us the vision for things unseen. So we can stay true to what we value, what matters to us, what is meaningful to us. Because things we see around us don't always tell the truth. Things are often not what they seem, right? They can confuse and disorient us. And I feel this especially these days. There are so many things happening in the country and in the world that discourage us and makes us cynical. So many tragedies, so much evil, it feels like. We hear about human rights violations, corruption, wars, um, abuses. Last week, Venida spoke powerfully about um, being resilient in the faces of uh, in the faces of racism, and how it is an everyday fight for some of us, for many of us. Immigrants are being treated like less than human beings. There's sexism and misogyny everywhere, discrimination and violence against LGBTQ persons. When we're bombarded with the ugliness of the world on a daily basis, it can feel like hate and violence are winning. Do you feel t- sometimes feel that way? Even when our minds know it's not necessarily true, it feels like it's true. And we're tempted to indulge in that feeling. My 13-year-old son has been obsessively listening to Billy Joel songs. And, um, you know, those are very catchy. And one of the songs he's he's been singing is Only the Good Die Young. And it's not even true, but it feels like true, you know? It can feel like those who are corrupted get ahead. Those who lie get rewarded. Those who steal get richer. Those who are merciless succeed and those who are kind get trampled on. The victimizers get away with it and only the victims suffer the long-term consequences. Where is justice in all this? Where is fairness in all this? You can see how these experiences can harm our emotional and physical health and affect our thoughts and choices, and they affect our vision, the way we see everything. It dims the light in us, and it makes us cynical and hardened. But faith can really help us here. By definition, faith is trust in what we don't fully see or understand, what is not fully here yet. Faith, Hebrew 11 and 1 says, uh, there's a, um, is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Things hoped for and things not seen. If we see it clearly or if we already have it all, we wouldn't, we wouldn't need faith. And faith keeps our eyes on what we hope for, what we trust in, what we trust to be true. So we're not derailed and confused constantly by what we see happening around us. This is why how we see God, the picture of God in our mind is so important. Our image of who God is and what God is like is where our faith moves us toward. If we believe in a God who is all loving and gracious, our faith would help us move toward love and grace, even in the midst of daily experiences of violence and hate. So today, I want to read together a story that tells us who God is. Our kids downstairs are hearing the same story today. They have been in the series called uh, The Stories That Tell Us About God. And this story is one of them. It is one of the parables Jesus tells um, about the kingdom of God. And The story paints us a picture of what God is like and what it means to be in God's kingdom. So let me um, read this. For us. It's from Luke 14, 15 to 24. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, He sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come. So that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. So before we talk about the story in detail, let's take a moment to picture this great banquet. Which day the kids downstairs are actually having an actual party to experience the story. They will get an invitation and Food and drinks, and you guys will just have to use your imagination. (laughs) So, the great feast is prepared. The big, gorgeous house of God, beautifully decorated for the feast. There must have been music and dancing. Food looks and smells and tastes amazing. With the people around the table. Where everyone, regardless of their status, appearance, ability, righteousness, is invited to sit and eat together. Everyone has enough. Everyone is treated with love and dignity. Abundance and generosity. Joy and diversity. Can you picture that? I remember in another conversation with, at, the, at River Kids a few years ago, when I shared this particular story, uh, one of them said, her first comment was, I just can't understand why anyone would say no to this party. It's that kind of party. Maybe something I looked up internet and try to find some images that kind of mirrors how I feel about this feast. Do you have that, Dave? There are a couple, yes, this is one of them. And that's one of them. Something like that. Abundance, generosity, joy, and diversity. That is the image of God's kingdom that Jesus has given to us. This is the image. This is the picture to keep in mind whenever we think about or talk about Christ. This is the picture. Jesus actually gives us over and over again in the Bible through the wedding scene at Cana when he turns water into wine and keeps the party going, through the miracles of feeding 4,000 and 5,000 people abundantly with just two fish and five loaves of bread, and by eating and drinking all the time with people, especially with the despised And those who were considered unworthy of God's love. Jesus gives us this picture of God's feast to hold on to. So what is up with those people who were not coming? Making excuses. We might find some clues in what comes right before the story, the context of the story. When Jesus told this story, he was at the home of a distinguished religious leader for dinner. And people were watching each other closely at this party and vying for seats closer to the head of the table. It was one of those social scenes where people were comparing themselves with each other and ranking their own importance. Do you see the contrast between this setting And the story that Jesus is telling. And a man comments. What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And this story that Jesus tells is in response to this man's comment. And I think there is an assumption. In the man's comment. What a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. And the assumption is that not everyone would deserve to be at this banquet. Only the most esteemed will be invited. It will be an honor to attend God's feast because it would mean that that person earned their seats there. That the person was worthy of God's love. So Jesus is telling this parable of a completely different kind of feast. And saying that the ultimate feast of God's kingdom is not about ranks or status or worldly achievement that you think will earn God's favor and make you more worthy. But it is about participating in what we are already invited to. Receiving what is already given not needing to earn or deserve our place but celebrating God's undeserved gift to us people who didn't come because they bought oxen or a field or got married which the kids in my discussion group all understood fully were bogus excuses i mean one of them said why can't he just bring his wife And those people who made excuses and didn't come are perhaps the people who were uncomfortable with receiving something without earning, were afraid of getting something without being able to pay back, or who were offended at the suggestion that they will be altogether at the same table with those who they consider inferior, sinner, undeserving, the riffraffs. You see, the party that God is throwing, anybody can attend. Anybody can be there as long as you're okay with people, other people who are there. Right? We're all invited and we all can partake in the joy of God's kingdom as long as we're okay there our enemies might be there that those who we don't regard highly will be there those we think don't deserve god's love will be there too because as we just heard from jesus god is going out into the country lanes and behind the hedges to the unprivileged and the suffering whom we don't always see or hear, whom we don't always remember to value and include, and urging them to come, urging anyone she finds to come so that the house will be full. This is the image of God I want us to carry with us. So that even in the midst of hate and violence around us, we can see clearly through our faith and walk toward this image. The image of God's great banquet where the door is open, where there's enough for everyone and where everyone is invited and where you are invited. This great banquet is happening here, now, right around us, even when it is hard for us to see. and Even when it is hard for us to see, through faith, we can hope for what is unseen. And through faith, we can bring this ultimate reality of God's kingdom into our lives more and more every day. How do we do that? How can we bring God's kingdom to be our reality in life? I have some practical suggestions for you. The first is to see your own story through faith. See your own story. Again, through faith. In life we sometimes go through experiences that leave us feeling that we're less than or that somehow we're left out of God's feast. It could be the experiences of regular, constant microaggressions that you experience or systematic injustice based on race, gender, sexual orientation, class, or disabilities or the experiences of being hurt, betrayed, or used by others physically, emotionally, and or sexually. Or it could be just be the bad luck that brought losses and disappointments in your life. Or our hopes and dreams and needs and desires unfulfilled and unmet. These experiences can leave a lasting mark in the way we experience life, in the way we see the world and God, they can make, a, make it harder to believe that we are already loved fully and that we have our place at God's great feast. These experiences tell us lies that we consciously or subconsciously believe And often live out. So I encourage all of us to put in the work of reflecting on our stories and seeing them again through faith, through the unnegotiable truth that God's love covers you completely and you're part of the greatest feast. I have a friend who has worked with a therapist. After a trauma that shook his sense of self badly. When someone experiences a trauma like this. They can blame themselves for the um, wrongs others have done to them. And carry shame and guilt within them. So as part of this trauma work with the therapist. He wrote and rewrote his story over and over again to see if there were any lies lurking in the way that he was seeing or internalizing what happened. So that the end of that process, that his story will reflect truth of his worth and dignity. It was a powerful process for him. So put in the work to process and retell your own stories through God's love. Talk to a therapist. Share and examine your stories. And don't let anyone tell you that you don't belong in God's great feast. Woe to them who tell you that lie because you most certainly belong. The second suggestion is to practice this vision of the great feast in your life. What I mean by that, what I mean by practicing the vision is to live and love as if the full reality of God's feast is here and now. To act and think as if there's always enough for you. To refuse to play the zero-sum games where others win is your loss. To include and embrace others whom you don't have to, who are different from us. And to open ourselves up to connections with others, even if that means you can get hurt. To live and love as if, The full reality of God's feast is here and now. And that, in my opinion, is the true prayer. Prayer through our choices and actions. And that prayer, this prayer has power. It has real power. The more we practice, the more it becomes the actual reality of our life. And the more of heaven's joy and love flow into us. So practice this vision of great feast intentionally in your life as your prayer. There are many different ways to do it. I'm sure you can think of it. It could be small choices, small steps that you make. There are two concrete ways and hopefully easy ways to practice this vision that I would like to talk to you about today. The first one is to celebrate communion. Um, you might be wondering why we have this beautiful table here. Um, this is today's uh, communion table for us. Because sometimes it feels like communion is a religious ritual between you and God. It's private. But the meaning of communion is rooted in a shared meal around the table. Actually, it is about sharing our life with others in remembrance of Christ who holds us all together and who sustains us. Jesus said that the wine is like his blood and bread his flesh. So when we take wine and bread, we're joined with others through Jesus' body. God's spirit flows in us and reminds us that we are all connected. That communion is the ritual that reminds us of that reality of our connection. First communion was Jesus sitting around the table with his friends, eating and drinking, and enjoying each other's company the night before his death. And at that table, Judas was also included. So let's remember this vision of the great feast for all when we take communion today together. To help us visualize it is um, we are we're all served the communion around the table instead of being served one by one. And Sarah created this beautiful table for us. And just a note, communion at the river is open, meaning that regardless of your spiritual background or belief, you're welcome to partake in it We invite you to eat with us at our table. The great feast of God includes you. And the second concrete way to practice the vision um, of the great feast is to get involved with River Kids and River Youth. The younger members of our community are the guests of honor at this feast of God's. And I really, really believe that. Being there with them, making connections with them, and choosing to include them at your table is practicing God's vision. Not only that they will also enlarge you and blow your mind with their wisdom and insights from time to time. If If you hang in there, those moments will come too. It has power to expand us and expand our world. It is, it is practicing this vision. So whether you're parents or not, it is a powerful way to open up our table to those we don't have to interact with, we don't have to connect with. Because we don't have to connect with somebody else's children, but we're choosing to because it's part of the vision. It's part of the picture of the kingdom of God those who you don't have to pay attention to and sometimes those you don't want to pay attention to because you know they can be a lot but I always imagine the great feast to be somewhat chaotic with energy flying around that's how I imagine the great feast of God because all will be there, united in one spirit, and all will be, on their, be their own unique selves fully, right, in this kingdom. Abundance, generosity, joy, and diversity. And when you hang out with kids, you will be reminded of this truth. You will see the beauty in the joyous chaos, which is really the sign of thriving life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for this amazing feast that you have prepared for us, that you are constantly invi- inviting us to to join, to partake, to join hands with your friends around the table and strangers, people that we don't know, people that who we are different from, and that life, you offer life through that. So I just pray today that Jesus, you plant this vision of great feast in our spirit Let us hear the invitation from you to join in and let us be those who invite others and let us be those who share our space with others and let us choose for this vision every day, even when we don't feel like it, even when we feel like we're seeing the opposite. And let the power of heaven flood our hearts and minds and our lives, our relationships. And let us step closer to you and your kingdom of God today. Shower us with your abundance, with your generosity, with your joy and love. In Jesus' name, amen.